the anime community, as opposed to Netflix, is in is a little riled up right now due to a certain uh, announcement about the way that Netflix is treating the release of Stone Ocean. Hello and welcome to episode 62 of Nerd Explosion. I am your host, John Winter. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Sean Clark. How are you doing today, Sean? This has been a very crazy morning. Uh, the morning that we're recording this was the 2022 FIFA World Cup draw. So that's been very exciting. I uh, have content for the site on it, uh, as well as doing a stream uh, for the YouTube channel. So that's been a crazy morning. Um, but yeah, excited to talk about Moon Knight, but not excited to talk about the other thing. Yeah, we also going to talk about the premiere of Moon Knight. But first, we got to talk about news, because we usually always start a podcast with some news. And sadly, the news this week is not very good. <laughs> um, when Stone Ocean was first announced for um, chunk release back when it was um, first announced that it was going to go up on Netflix last August, I believe, um, or the end of July, I don't remember which, this was forever ago, um, I was very skeptical. I remember us talking about it on the podcast, and ultimately I leaned towards the fact that chunk releases weren't going to be a good idea because we didn't know when the second chunk release was going to happen after the first. Um, and with weekly release, we always we would have had consistent episodes every single week for however long Stone Ocean would have ran for. I'm willing to wager based off how long the manga is that would have been about 48 episodes at least. Um, but with the way Netflix is handling this, um, not only did they push the release of the first 12 episodes way sooner than uh, the studio would have normally been able to, causing many people at David Productions to straight up leave the company, um, including their um, creative director, which is really bad. <laughs> um, but as a ramification for how bad the production was going into the first four episodes, I mean, they ultimately turned out fine when they were released, but because of everything going on with their production, um, deep David Productions employees threatening to quit, despite how much they love working on this show, they weren't going to handle it the way that Netflix wanted to. Um, we presumably, I believe that that is the reason why the production has been delayed and why the second chunk release is not coming out in April. It's not coming out in July. It's coming out in the fall as a fall season show. Um, and not only is the Netflix release getting pushed back the fall, the Japanese broadcast is too, because Netflix has um, the license and the rights um, to the show um, handled in such a way of Warner Brothers that the show has to go up on Netflix first before, excuse me, before it hits broadcast television in Japan. Um, thus, we find ourselves in the situation of the second or the next 12 episodes of the show are releasing almost a year after the first 12 because of rushed production and then delayed production due to the rushed production. Bruh. That, 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 no, that, that, that's not okay. Yeah. Um, Let's just say that uh, no one is happy about this. Um, 
the comments on the trailers on YouTube, both on uh, Warner Brothers um, YouTube channel and on Netflix's English and Japanese channels, as well as the overall discussion on Twitter, almost everyone hates this. Every, um, everyone that wanted a weekly release from the beginning, everyone that was initially okay with the chunk release because it meant that they could binge it, um, which I know is where Sean was landing on, that you were actually happy about the chunk release overall. Um, and this has united basically everyone in hatred against Netflix for the way that they're handling this. Because it's ultimately their fault. You can't blame David Production for uh, forcing Netflix's hand and pushing back the release because of the way that they were treated in the first 12 episodes. It makes sense from, from uh, coming from them. It's really Netflix that has screwed all of this up and also Warner Brothers for allowing them to do this. This is this is not okay. When first of all, when you rush things out, no matter what it is, whether it's a movie, whether it's a TV show, whether it's a video game, it's not going to usually turn out very well. Obviously, you broke down how much of a problem this was for the first twelve episodes. Uh, we've we've obviously seen multiple movies like The Last Jedi, which got out a little bit sooner than maybe it should have. And for video game industry, uh, Assassin's Creed Unity is the first game that comes to mind. Uh, also, uh, via this for the Canon Car a couple years ago, but Gothic 3, um, that got released uh, a lot sooner than expected. So it wasn't the complete story the developers wanted to tell. Yeah, it's not. I, it's not I a- would say The Rise of Skywalker is a better example of uh, rushed release than The Last Jedi. That is true. Because The Last Jedi had, I believe, at least almost a year more production than the rise of Skywalker did. Yes. Uh, that was more. Yeah. But this, the, they're the, both the, not good, but one is worse. <laughs> yes. That, that is true. I mean, I try to forget the rise of Skywalker ever happened. So that's why it didn't come to mind initially, but, um, but yeah, my point is when you rush things out, like it's, it, it doesn't go well. It, it, it doesn't usually go well. Yeah. And so, this has been a common problem for anime. Um, this has never really affected JoJo's before. I mean, you, there has been some rough animation in the broadcast weekly during Diamonds and Birthmo and Golden Wind, but that was. But whenever that happened, especially with Golden Wind, they would usually push back episodes by a week in order to give them enough time to finish the animation to the best of their ability, and then they would usually fix it for the Blu-ray release. But DP has usually been pretty pretty fine when it comes to the production schedule and treating their employees right. I mean, you you compare them to like how Mappa or Cloverworks are treating their staffs, and it's very different. This is definitely not their fault, as I mentioned before. They did the best they could. <laughs> they did. So now that because of the rush production, as you said, we now have to wait almost a year, and that just loses so much of the momentum. Because if we had it even past April, even sometime in between December or April, that would have still been, it still wouldn't have been ideal, but it still would have been fine. But having almost a year between release, that, that just kills momentum. But there yeah. is one, there is one sneaky advantage though. That is good because of how long a possibility of better quality episode. Not just that, but because of how long it takes, people are, might have to re-binge the episodes to remember what happened. I mean, yeah, that, that is a good point. That is a possibility. Um, I think I don't know. My my thing with it is that if they if we're going to get episodes in fall, this should have been announced way before now. 
um, because people waited four months for any news whatsoever on a continuation of Stone Ocean because we didn't even know if there was going to be more. I mean, we knew because there had to be, right? Because it would be weird for them only to do 12 episodes. But we didn't know they were going to do anything else. We had no stated production date. We had no confirmation by the studio or Netflix or Warner Brothers about whether, uh, about when we were getting more episodes or how that would happen. So while yes, I think that that does give people time to binge it, like to rewatch the episodes, um, I think that they already had more than enough time to do that. Because nine months between episode releases is a lot for a show that was originally planned to have a weekly release before Netflix picked it up. Yes. Uh, as you mentioned, everyone loses. I, I personally like binging just because, you know, with my busy schedule, it kind of allows me to, you know, if, if I have, let's say one day where I can watch a lot of episodes, then it, it allows me uh, to do that. It allows me to retain everything easier, but that mindset uh, is also kind of out the window now because, well, with the episodes being, you know, almost a year in between, that's going to make wanting to binge this even harder. Like, yes, I do did like the first 12 episodes that we, as we've discussed, but when you have that long, like, it's just, it's difficult to reinvest for someone who, like, I will watch it, of course, but maybe I will too, but there's plenty of fans like yes. Stone Ocean already wasn't the most popular JoJo part. And it's not because it's not well-written or anything. It's because it comes before um, Steel Ball Run and after Golden Wind. And while the anime definitely 180'd everyone's opinions about Golden Wind, the manga was not very well-received when, it was, when um, fan translations first hit the internet in the early 2000s. Um, and similarly, Stone Ocean had the same problems. And a lot of people just was straight up skip Stone Ocean to get the Steel Ball Run. Um, I mean, I did this, but that's because I knew that we were getting the Stone Ocean anime soon. Um, so I knew it was a safe bet to skip and then just wait for the anime, which I knew would probably be better than the manga. But Stone Ocean already didn't have the greatest opinions among the fan base when it came to its quality compared to other parts. and how Netflix is handling this release is definitely not helping things. Not at all. Like I said, you lose a lot of that steam and momentum that the first 12 episodes may have had. It's, it's just not an ideal situation. Yeah. I mean, there's a not, there's going to be nine months presumably between the chunk releases. And someone pointed out on Twitter that that is enough time for Diamond and Breakable to air on television in its entirety week to week. You could that fit is the a, entirety that of, is a big yikes. Yeah, you could fit the entirety of Diamonds and Breakables Japanese broadcast within that span of time, which is just insane. That's crazy. Um, if Netflix hadn't gone the show and it was a weekly release, just like every other JoJo part before this in Japan, um, and then going on Crunchyroll um, from um, week to week as well, because Crunchyroll simulcasted uh, Golden Wind. I don't know if they simulcasted any of the previous seasons, but I know they did Golden Wind. If it had been that way, and production for the show had been week to week starting in January, which is when um, the show was broadcasted in Japan, 
they likely wouldn't have had any of the problems with rushing the episodes because the issue was rushing 12 episodes. Um, the first like eight were probably fine. We really only started to see some issues in um, animation quality uh, with the Wang Wrangler fight, which I believe was episodes 10 and 11. Um, and there were a bit of issues with some of the CG in episode 12 as well, but it wasn't quite as bad. Um, but it was really just those three episodes that seemed to get hit by uh, production issues. So if the show had aired week to week, those episodes would have went up first. For, they would have aired for the first time in March instead of in December. Um, and if we were going week to week, if this was like just broadcast in Japan, the show would have finished in like July, like when Golden Wind did. But instead, we have a nine-month period waiting between episodes just for a second chunk release to hit in the fall. And then once that comes out, we're going to have to wait God knows how long for the next 12 episodes. And then if that doesn't wrap up the story, then we'd have to wait again, however knows how long, for the ending of Stone Ocean. Yeah, no, they screwed this up. Yeah, like, this is plain and simple. really bad. Um. I really, really hope that this makes Warner Brothers realize um, how that Netflix is not the right place for JoJo's and that uh, Netflix loses the license for Steel Ball Run. Because if Stone Ocean is getting treated this way, I can't imagine the vitriol among the fan base if Steel Ball Run is treated this way. Because unlike Stone Ocean, Steel Ball Run is one of the most popular parts in all of JoJo. It's currently the highest rated uh, manga series on um, on my anime list, which is pretty huge. So if Steel Ball Run is treated the way that Stone Ocean is, I just I feel like the anime, the popularity of JoJo's is going to just get killed by uh, the production release. Yeah. Uh, it's, they better not do this to Steel Ball Run. I agree. Yeah, this could be this could be really bad. The, the good news is that um, for those that do want more Stone Ocean and don't want to read the fan translation, uh, Shonen Jump partnered with Viz Media to release um, an official localization for Stone Ocean's manga each week. So it's one chapter a week, and I believe it's currently free on Viz's website. Um, so if you are hankering for some Stone Ocean, it's basically a given that the tr that the manga translation is going to catch up to where the anime left off at by the time the anime comes back. <laughs> so if you're really anchoring for some more Stone Ocean, that would be the best avenue right now. Sounds like a good alternative. But yeah, it's it's very disappointing. It was especially disappointing for me because I stayed up till two a.m. to watch the Japanese um, anime um, convention and panels to wait for the JoJo's one just to hear any news about Stone Ocean, only to learn that we were going to have to wait even longer. So uh, while I seem like I've kind of simmered down on it, I, I'm not happy about this at all. I'm, I'm very angry about this. The only reason why I'm remotely okay with this is because of the amount of anime that we're getting between now and fall. Like, um, just from spring season alone, we have Shield Heroes. Um, second season, we have the second core of Comey Can't Communicate. We have the, the long-awaited third season of Love is War. 
uh, we have Spy and Family, um, and in summer we're getting the second season of Rent a Girlfriend. So we have plenty of stuff. Uh, if you're an anime fan, that we're getting between now and then, um, but it is it's still really disappointing. Yes, definitely looking forward to Shield Hero season two. Yeah, uh, I know that the Japanese is premiering next week, but since we usually cover the English dubs, uh, and usually since it's Crunchyroll, I know Crunchyroll partnered with Funimation to dub Shield Hero. I don't think we'll get confirmation about a dub for Shield Hero until roughly a day before. Um, the dub with release um, just because of NDAs and the way that Funimation usually um, handles um, the discussions for their English dub and announcements for that. Um, their NDAs are usually very strict, which is why uh, the production staff can't talk about the show until literally the day before um, the dub is coming out. So when the dub comes out, we'll be covering it on the podcast. So that'll be exciting. Yes, it will. But no, overall, again, not happy about this. But luckily, we have other stuff coming out in the meantime. So not the end of the world. And one of the shows that we are getting that's coming out in the meantime, and while it isn't anime, um, I've been waiting for a live-action Moon Knight series since Daredevil first came out back in 2015 because that made me realize that uh, Marvel, and more specifically uh, the team, the production staff working on their live-action um, television could actually handle a Moon Knight series. Um, I was initially worried about it going up on, on Disney Plus because Moon Knight is a darker character. And while you there have been lighter storylines with him, they kind of went by the wayside in the 90s. And we've only really gotten some darker storylines with him since the early 2000s, since at least Brian Michael Bendis wrote the character. But much to my surprise, uh, this is easily the darkest of the Disney Plus shows that we've gotten, uh, or at least it's the most violent. And I really applaud the uniqueness that they went here because it doesn't really feel like anything that's been done with Moon Knight before. Um, like the episode begins by following Stephen Grant, who is not the main alter for Moon Knight. Um, he's one of, he's a personality that, uh, Mark initially created to help deal with crime and to create a secondary persona for for himself to uh, to operate as a vigilante. So it's really interesting that they start with uh, Stephen Grant. And this version of Stephen Grant is very different from the comics. He's more timid, more normal, I guess you could say. Um, he seems like your average um, Joe. You're just regular person that has to deal with all this crazy stuff that he is unwittingly wrapped up in because he's just one personality inside of a shared consciousness. I really enjoyed this first episode. It was very trippy, uh, very... It was a very jarring episode to watch, and I really enjoyed it. You see Stephen uh, struggling with a lot of different things, struggling to you know, really belong, struggling to sleep because uh, he says that he just wakes up in random places. Yeah, you can see from the opening of the episode that he's chained to his bed, which Im- and there's sand around it, um, which implies that he believes he just has trouble sleepwalking, as in he'll just go places, which is why he, which is what he thinks is why he just ends up in random places before the events of this episode. Like you have him chained to the bed so that he can't leave it, and then you have the sand in case 
um, in his sweep, he removes the chain and then gets up and walks because then the sand will leave footprints. Um, so he clearly thinks he has a problem, but it, it's obviously not um, just sleepwalking. Yes. Um, when we see him wake up in a, uh, let's just say a cultist, a cultist village. Yeah. Um, somewhere in Austria, I believe. Yeah. Which is quite far from London. Yeah. Just a little bit. And, and we see, um, we see Moon Knight and Steven swap as he is running for his life. We don't see Moon Knight swap. We see Mark Spector swap. Mark Spector. Sorry. Yeah. And we don't, we haven't gotten the Moon Knight yet. I'm I'm still trying to wrap my head around this. Um, but essentially, see, seeing the switches as he is as he is being chased by uh, Ethan Hawke's um, uh, henchman was one of the more amusing, entertaining action scenes I've seen. But yeah, the Disney editors so did a really good job with this because because we're put in Stephen's shoes, we are just as confused as he is, which allows us to gravitate more and sympathize with him as a character more. Um, the choppy editing. Um, and especially the sudden scene changes do a really good job of putting us inside Stephen's shoes because, again, we're just as lost as he is with the with the flow of these scenes. Yes, and and, and just the shock of uh, seeing a bunch of bodies on the floor and he's re- and Stephen is reacting to it shows just how weird the situation is, and that's one of the best ways to tell a story is for us to, to experience something through the character's eyes. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, Ethan Hawke's character. Let's talk about um, Arthur for a little bit, because um, this is an interesting decision is to have a wholly unique villain that never once appeared in the comics. It, it, while is cruelly inspired by some characters, but is wholly unique um, because Arthur is, completely unique to the show. He has not appeared in anything before. Um, and specifically, um, he work, rules for the god, uh, the, the Egyptian god of balance, I believe. Um, uh, Ahmet, Emet, something like that. I probably completely botched that name. Sean is the history nerd. He might be able to correct me on this. Wait, try saying that one more time. <laughs> uh, Ahmet. Yeah, Ahmed. Yeah. Okay. Um, and he seeming his followers seemingly come to him w- looking for um, preservation or the the know the goodness in their soul and have it proven to them that they are actually a good person because he has this balanced tattoo on his arm, right? That seems to weigh the person's soul and um, and seemingly if uh, they lean more towards the error of things more towards evil more towards sin uh he seems to suck their soul into his body um and i presume that this means that he grows in strength for power but we'll have to wait to see if we see a fight scene with him later in the show for proof of this but it seems that he's an avatar for ahmet the way that uh mark specter is an avatar for whoever this god is that's talking to him. We haven't got a name for him yet. So I'm going to be purposefully vague on that. Um, 
but I presume that that's the case. I, I have had conversations with um, Kyle Gold from What the Fiction on Twitter about this, and um, it's it's either that he's a servant of Ahmet or he's an avatar just like Mark Spector is. Um, we'll have to wait and see which of these prove to be the case in future episodes. But it's really interesting. I especially love the scene where um, Stephen is seen by him and Stephen is forced to walk up. And we do get the scene of him wrestling with the god um, that Mark is an avatar for over control of the body, trying to hand the scarab over to Arthur. But what's really interesting about the scene is when Arthur grabs Stephen the way his soul and the balance doesn't stop shaking as he senses chaos in him because, and this is seemingly because the scale doesn't know which soul the way. Yeah, that, that scene was uh, shocking just, just in the sense that it, it adds a lot more uh, mystery uh, uh, to Steven and like, and it, and it, and it kind of makes it vague, like what, what to make of this character. Yeah. And then on top of that, um, again, like you have the whole chase sequence, which is really nice. But once he gets back to London, right, when he when he seemingly crashes, gets replaced by Mark, and then Mark takes him back to London seemingly a, a day, the next day, uh, or two days later, um, if this was on um, Friday, because it was Thursday that, um, that we last saw Stephen in London. He had a date on Friday at 7 p.m., um, and then that weekend, um, presumably Friday, Saturday, he spends traveling to and from Austria, and then he's back in London on Sunday. Um, he assumes that all of his experience in Austria were just a dream um, because it doesn't seem like any time has passed for him because he's right back in his bed, chained up just the way that he left himself um, on Thursday. Um, so he leaves and goes about his normal day, and we start getting some slight uh, hints at the fact that the events in Austria actually happened when he goes to the goldfish shop to uh, seemingly give back his goldfish because it has two fins instead of one, so it clearly isn't the same goldfish that he had before, and he knows this. Um, yet the person at the store says that she had just seen him the previous day buying that goldfish. And I believe the assumption here is that when Mark came back he, um, from Austria, he noticed that the goldfish had, had died and tried to replace it in such a way that Stephen wouldn't notice. That's very clever. Yeah. Um, only for Stephen to actually notice because the fence were wrong, which Mark, of course, wouldn't have known because he wasn't the one that initially bought the fish. <laughs> It's, a, it's an interesting uh, way to show the dynamics between the two personalities without getting a whole lot of Mark in this episode. I think the only time we ever actually see Mark is later um, through the mirrors talking with Steven, um, which is really interesting. And um, did I, I noticed some interesting imagery with the mirrors outside of the personalities just talking. And you can see that just from, um, just from him walking around the museum or in his own uh, in his own apartment, because you can see whenever he turns away from the mirrors in his own apartment in the bathroom, uh, when he looks away, you can still see uh, Oscar Isaac looking back, like behind them, which is really uh, clever in our first hint that uh, the personalities can see and interact with each other. 
if that's truly the case, we're going to have some truly trippy scenes going forward as they as they learn to kind of like coexist. Yeah. And what's really interesting about the mirrors, especially uh, later in the episode, just jumping ahead a little bit because I want to keep the discussion on the imagery here. Uh, When he's in the bathroom locked in the room trying to get away from the monster that's following him, uh, you see one, this this entire hallway is covered in mirrors on both sides. Uh, One is reflecting back on Stephen and showing his back. And the other is showing Mark with all the mirrors behind him empty uh, without any reflection whatsoever. As if Mark is currently the only other uh, personality inhabiting the body. Yet there are other mirrors behind him implying there's room for more. And even going on from that, there are moments where you get um, mirrors set in threes. And um, this is most noticeable on the bus. Um, and also in the museum. And you can also see this in the end credit sequence because you get this um, split mirror um, thing with uh, three separate Oscar Isaac heads. And as someone that that hasn't read the comics, it's probably easy to assume that this is probably Stephen, Mark, and the avatar and um, the god that, uh, that Mark is the avatar of. However, uh, we see this god briefly throughout this episode, especially uh, from the moment that um, Stephen is stuck inside of uh, his apartment, because when he goes down the elevator, we see what looks like uh, an Egyptian god with a large beak wearing a suit chasing after him, trying to break into the elevator, only for it to switch and be the, the old woman, right? Uh, And then when he's on the bus, we see glimpses of this god again and again um, outside as if he's trying to appear to him, but not fully appearing to Stephen. Because again, Stephen is not the personality that is an avatar of this god. It's Mark that is. So it makes more sense that we only briefly see this god whenever he's switching back and forth from Mark in those brief moments of time. Because there's no reason for the god to appear to Stephen because... He views Stephen as weak and useless, as as an idiot, as he says um, during um, the sequences in Austria. Ah, the idiot is in control. Yes. Um, Implying that uh, this god has unwittingly become the avatar of this personality, not either not realizing that Mark has a dissociative identity disorder um, or um, Stephen was created as a result of uh, this god becoming an avatar for Mark and the traumatic events that led to such, an, such a thing happening. For all this, um, I, I have to say the biggest thing that stood out is they could not, I mean, I, I'm, I'm already one episode in and I can already safely say that they could not have nailed the casting for, for Moon Knight like even even better than no, they Oscar Isaac's an amazing actor. And you can see why uh, he picked this role that we're doing the comic book movies. I'm sure that after playing Apocalypse uh, in the X-Men franchise, he wasn't overtly thrilled to return to uh, any sort of comic book adaptation. Yet with Moon Knight, he gets a lot of things to do as an actor. It gets a lot of work um, dealing with 
the multiple personalities dealing with all the action sequences, displaying emotional distress uh, with Steven and uh, competency with, um, with Mark. And you can see him handle all these different personalities. And it's very clear how different they are, even with just the short amount of time we get with Mark in this episode. Yes, I honestly keep forgetting that Oscar Isaac played Apocalypse just because of how uninteresting that character was. Yes. But but no, uh, he had such a wide range of emotions, uh, you know, the timid uh, and scared, but also very nerdy and confident. Like, like I know, like on the podcast, I talk about range a lot, but mm. this has serious range. Yeah, including his accent work with him switching between the British accent for um, Stephen, which I believe is comically over the top because it's clear that Mark is the main personality based off of what we see in this episode. Thus, it makes sense for his British accent to come off as a little cheesy and silly because um, the, the person himself is not actually British. So while the accent sounds close to authentic, it still sounds a little cheesy and over the top. And I think that's purposeful. Yeah, accents is something that sometimes are very noticeable when when it's not great. But this is one of those situations where he nailed the accents and it sounded natural. It sounds most again, it sounds mostly natural. I think that they purposefully were trying to ham up the accent because again, Mark isn't British. So I imagine that the way Stephen talks is the way that Mark imagined how British people talk because he's American. Well, um, that's why it works so well. Yeah. So it's not so much that like the accent is like perfectly authentic. It's so much as it's perfect for what they're going for in the show. Um, it doesn't feel um, like accidental ham, like Robert Pattinson's country accent in The Devil All the Time. Oh my God, you had to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, because it's a good example. Um, yeah. And then we end this episode off with finally getting our first look at Moon Knight, and whereas Steven was completely scared of this monster chasing out after him, this giant werewolf-looking uh, thing, this lichen-looking creature, when he finally gives in and lets Mark take over control, Moon Knight dispatches this creature very quickly, which makes it clear that having, um, or I should say being the avatar of an Egyptian god, certainly lends him a, a little bit of a uh, superhuman abilities i would say i'm unsure uh how much again they're pulling from the comic book source material because whether moon knight has superpowers really depends on who is writing him but that does seem to be the case here yeah i wonder what his uh power scope is really going to look like because obviously this is my true introduction for the character but i will say that he that moon knight looked awesome in full glory yeah I, I still don't love how overproduced the costume is, but it does still look pretty solid. I love the white eyes because we rarely ever get white eyes on superhero costumes anymore. Um, usually because they want to show off the actor's eye movement and acting through their eyes. But with Moon Knight, I actually think that it's a really good decision to keep the eyes hidden because it makes uh, the superhero persona seem more alien than the other personalities. I think that they're going to lean into the fact that while yes, Mark is Moon Knight, they might lean into Moon Knight being a personality in of itself or a mask that Mark wears. That That is true. Would you say that this is the best uh, opening episode of the uh, Disney Plus TV shows? I would say it's tied with Loki. 
um, for that. It's just as interesting as engaging, but I definitely would say it's a way bigger feat to introduce an audience to a, to a whole way new character and immediately get them attached to them, even if it is uh, Stephen Grant, who isn't technically Moon Knight. Um, I think they did a really good job. And I think that's one of the best things that Marvel has always been, has always really uh, been good at is that way that they write characters. Um, that's always been something that they've excelled at from the beginning with the first Iron Man in 2008. And that's no different here with Moon Knight. And I'm interested to see where they go from here because again, this first episode focused on Stephen Grant. And based off of that and the fact that uh, Moon Knight has dissociative identity disorder, I'm willing to wager, and since it's going to be a six-episode series, um, that the next episode will focus on Mark Spector. And I also uh, am willing to bet that we're probably going to get at least some more pieces of his origin and how he became the avatar for an Egyptian god, as well as which god that is since they don't mention it in this episode. Yeah, they got a lot of explaining to do, because I'm very curious. But yeah, I would say it was the best. I mean, yes, uh, the Loki episode, I think, was more fun, and it was also written extremely well. But the way they pulled this off is phenomenal, because the Loki premiere had a lot more going for it, especially considering that that it started with the scene already in Endgame. Moon Knight had to start completely from scratch, and, the re- and it not only did it make us invest in Stephen grant and moon knight but it there's so many questions like who's who's the guy's avatar how did wh- where does personality come from how did mark specter uh become said uh avatars you said there's so many yeah. questions and uh, i yeah, know they're who gonna be is answered. Ar- who is arthur why did this god pick him um are there any other personalities inside of his head than just mark and Stephen? Um, there's a, certainly a lot of questions that they introduce for people that are not familiar with the comics. And for people that are familiar with the comics, this is this t- take on Moon Knight is unique enough that it, while it still feels like the same character, um, and while they are still pulling a lot from the comics, it still feels special and unique. It doesn't feel like anything we've gotten before. Like, WandaVision had queer inspirations from the Vision comic series from Tom King and House of Them. Um, Loki was clearly inspired by Loki, Agent of Asgard, but it still had a lot um, unique about going on with the the TBA and the time travel um, and the alternate universe stuff and all that was wholly unique and interesting. Um, I'd say Falcon Winter Soldier is probably the least unique of the Disney Plus shows we've done because it pulled from almost exclusively existing material considering that it almost... It almost certainly adapted um, multiple storylines in the one and made them grow perfectly, but it wasn't anything that comic readers hadn't really seen before until um, coming onto the screen. While Moon Knight is a treat for fans of the character, while also uh, not being easy to predict where it's going to go. Um, And this is a feeling that I rarely get from the MCU. Having been a huge comic book fan, it's not very often that uh, they choose to create unique storylines or twist an existing one in a unique direction that makes it uh, completely different and separated from what it's pulling from. Um, you look at things like Civil War uh, in the MCU, which is completely different than is in the comics and honestly way better. Or you look at um, Infinity War, 
um, for example, as well. I think that the MCU is at its best when it's pulling a little bit from the comics, but still trying to do something different. And I think that with Moon Knight, they really hit that sweet spot. Yeah, th- this was a very nice introduction. Yeah, I have no clue where this is going. going, And I'm excited simply just to learn more about this character. Uh, that's honestly like that's all i really hope for going forward is now that i know that's going to be good and that's going to be pulled off well i just want to learn more like literally like that's like all my mindset is going forward the show i just want to learn more about this guy or yeah. or yeah yeah and you being a history nerd uh based off of the design of the god falling him which egyptian god do you think it is because he does have a bird-like appearance with the gigantic beak and it's large not small so it's obviously not raw or Horus. I'm not. I'll be honest. I'm not as familiar with like ancient Egyptian history. I'm more of a. I'm more of a, a European and American history nerd. But uh, if I if I had to guess, I don't know honestly. Um, I will give you a hint that it relates to the title of the show. <laughs> is it Khonshu? It is Khonshu. Yes, that that was going to be my guess. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, it is Khonshu. Um, you're definitely going to get a lot of him. And let's just say that, uh, like most Egyptian gods, it's not the most uh, morally righteous character. Oh, I figured. Mark's dynamic with Khonshu especially, because most of the other uh, personalities, specifically Steven in this case, don't really have uh, any sort of relationship with Khonshu. Uh, again, he mainly just doesn't really care about anyone except Mark, because Mark is who he chose to be an avatar for him. So... Uh, their dynamic is probably one of the most interesting uh, elements of the comics and something that almost every adaptation of Moon Knight in the comic or like every run of Moon Knight in the comics has uh, has worked with. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to see that dynamic going forward. Like I said, I'm just I'm very curious at this point because, you know, outside outside of like people like you who have read the Moon Knight comic, this is. There's a lot of intrigue going forward, like 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 the like among the highest of the MCU TV shows, which I'm very happy about. Yeah, and even with um, like the comics, the majority of Moon Knight people watching a show that have read any of the comics have only read the most recent Moon Knight series, uh, which again, as Kyle Gold on what the fiction can attest, um, it's the current run is nothing like what we're getting in the show. <laughs> Uh, the current run is way more grounded and while they're doing stuff with um, Mark's relationship with Khonshu, um, he's way he's more of a street-level uh, vigilante dealing with crime and running his own section of New York. There's not a whole lot of mind games. They're not really doing a whole lot with his um, dissociative identity disorder. Um, and especially not to the extent that the show is handling it. If anyone watching the show wants to pick up any of the Moon Knight comics, the one that is closest to the tone of the show is Jeff Lemire's or uh, Jeff Lemire's run from uh, 2015, 2016, uh, where Moon Knight was sent to a psychiatric hospital because of this dissociative identity disorder only to discover that it's actually being run by Horus in order to uh, rid, in order to separate Mark Spector and Khonshu permanently. I would say that that comic is a lot closer tonally uh, to what we're probably going to get with the show in the weirdness department. Sounds good. But uh, any final thoughts on Moon Knight before we wrap up the podcast, Sean? 
give me all the Moon Knight content. I'm excited to see more going forward. Absolutely. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode of Nerd Explosion. Uh, Sean, you're currently covering uh, FIFA, or not FIFA. You're currently covering um, the, the World Cup for soccer or football right now, right? They're currently doing um, team announcements for that. Yeah, so this morning, uh, before I started recording, uh, essentially, uh, so we know 29 of the 32 World Cup teams, and essentially they put them all in groups. Now, we still have a couple of playoff matches to determine the last few, but they just essentially said, so like, so for example, in one of the groups, uh, we will have, we, we, we will essentially have the winner of uh, Costa Rica versus New Zealand and I believe it's Group E, which is with Spain, Germany, Japan. So, like, the winner of that match will just automatically go in that group. Uh, so there'll be multiple like that because we also have another European playoff. We also have another uh, uh, intercontinental playoff between Australia, United Arab Emirates, and Peru. So once all that's settled out, we'll have the official groups. But, yeah, the United States will play England in the World Cup on Black Friday. How about that? That is going to be one of the most insane uh, sporting events we have ever seen. On a national holiday, the U.S. will play England in the World Cup, and that's going to be insane. I that's that's going to be an all time spectacle, an all time spectacle. So I'm very excited for that. Um, so I will have uh, two articles that will be coming out for this. Uh, one, uh, just essentially breaking down my initial thoughts of the groups. And also I will have another article talking about the U S getting back to the world cup because they did not make the world cup in 2018. So I'll be writing an article about that along with on the YouTube channel, there will be a, a live stream between myself, Cameron Richardson and Colin Fuchs uh, breaking down uh, this announcement. So that will be the content coming from that. And then this weekend, Myself and Cameron Richardson will have a, a preview of the final four in March Madness, even though it's now April. Exciting. Um, very exciting. Yes. Uh, for me, um, for those that haven't noticed me posting about it on uh, social media, especially particularly on Twitter, since I no longer have Instagram, the trade paperback, the first volume of By the Horns, just released. And uh, my name is on the back cover as uh, one of my reviews was picked out and quoted. Uh, for the back cover alongside sci-fi and NPR, which is pretty wild. Um, and I'm literally right underneath the, the review on Wandering Nerd Girl that actually got me to pick up the comic initially, the first issue back in, God, almost over a year ago now. That would have been last March. So that's pretty astounding. It's probably the first time that any of my reviews have been created on any physical media before. I've been my name's been on uh, writers' websites and stuff, but it's pretty wild to have my name on a physical piece of media that I reviewed. So that's pretty crazy. Um, and it is currently available um, everywhere in local bookstores and comic book shops. Um, just make sure if your store doesn't currently have it in stock, I, you can talk to. Uh, the people working there, they get it ordered for you or sent to the store. Or you can order online if your book local shop has uh, online ordering available. Because that's what I did. I ordered it from uh, my local bookstore here in Flag on Brightside. So uh, highly recommend. It's one of the best fantasy comics on the shelves right now. And the second volume starts within the next couple of weeks. So I'll have a review out for that first issue um, when that hits the shelves. 
So that'll be really exciting. Um, I'm also currently planning on reviewing Steve Orlando's Marauders week to week, starting this week, finally. Uh, I've been getting a little behind on my comic book reviews, but I should be uh, starting to write uh, them again starting this week. So stay tuned for that. Um, and of course, with uh, winter season for anime finally starting to wrap up, you should start to see some um, reviews for winter seasonal anime in the next coming weeks, um, particularly uh, Ranking of Kings and maybe the case study of Vanitas, although due to some episode delays uh, with the English dub that might come later than expected. Looking forward to those reviews. Yeah. Again, that'll be it for us on the podcast this week. So thank you all for watching for listening and have a great rest of your day.